Welcome to Hindu Insights. My name is Ankur Patel from Los Angeles. I'm the Director of Advancement for Hindu University of America. And with me today is Dr. Indu Vishwanathan. It's my pleasure to have you with us today, Induji. It's a pleasure to be here. I always love chatting with you about lots of things. So I was excited when you invited me. To- the social media is so far from me, but the way that you talked about it in, in the hundreds of years, thousands of years that we're feeding into and building off of. Uh, in our last like minute or two, sure. uh, you've been working on understanding Hindu phobia for years. And that's part of those hundreds of years of history, how it's manifested differently mm-hmm. all the way through. You've done conferences. It's led to so many connections. And I'm glad to just learn about the Network Contagion Research Institute mm-hmm. out of Rutgers. You're working with our friend Parth Parthi, the Dr. Parihar. So that's amazing. And, and the spread of ideas on social media and how that becomes something in real life. And you studied over like a million tweets, or they did. So please, in a, in a brief, as typical, in a short amount of time. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's sure. Sure. So they studied over a million tweets um, on various platforms where we know you have extremist kind of collecting and um, spreading ideas. And what they found is that there is unequivocally a pattern of rhetoric that's being developed and being used to spread disinformation. So so not just misinformation, but disinformation, information that's intentionally created to create fractures and to create mistrust and distrust and hate of Hindus is rampant. And based on other work that they've done with other communities, I mean, this group has predict, predicted the Tree of Life synagogue attack. They, predict, they, they predicted things that we have seen happen in real life, right, in the United States. And they're predicting based on what they're seeing happening um, the Hindu phobia they see happening on platforms. And they, they defined the Hindu phobia based off of colonial era tropes that were developed, right? So this is deep, deeply embedded ideas, baked in ideas that there, um, that there will be on the ground violence directed towards Hindus. Wow, that is sobering, but glad that you're doing this research and all the other wonderful things you're doing. We're gonna have a second half with Dr. Indu Vishwanathan. We're gonna continue this conversation and actually pick up on some other big ideas. My name is Ankur Patel, Director of Advancement for Hindu University of America. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Our handle is study at HUA. You can also go to our website, hua.edu. Again, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Actually, let me give you Dr. Indu Vishwanathan's Twitter handle as well. You can follow her at Indumati37. She's amazing. And we'll be right back with Dr. Indu Vishwanathan shortly. Welcome back to Hindu Insights. I'm Ankur Patel with Dr. Hindu Vishwanathan. And we left off on Hindu Insights talking about a little bit of Hindu phobia and the Network Contagion Research Institute out of Rutgers. They studied a million tweets and they've seen how the rhetoric online uh, and proved it translates to real life action. So Induji, it's such an important topic. Let me uh, hand it back to you to keep going on this. Sure. Yeah. So just to be clear, they, they ha- they're predicting that it will lead to on the ground violence. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen um, we've seen a trend towards this in the case of Nupur Sharma and what's happening in India right now. Um, and we've also seen it in the erasure of violence as well that happens across social media. It's it's an interesting space. Of course, social media, the way that ideas spread, they can be. Um, these, these, these oversimplifications of stances, you know, social media moves us away from nuance, moves us away from self-inquiry, moves us away from, from all of the things that we know are really an important part of 
being in an intellectual tradition and it ends up creating these kind of tribes. Um, Yeah, and that pattern of rhetoric of disinformation, that was the other thing. Like there's it's it's a it's not just accidental disinformation, it's constructed, it's shared, and then there's a pattern of sharing it in strategic places online and other. So you mm -hmm. when you said that, I wasn't thinking, I mean, obviously kind of aware of it, but the way that we're digging into it and finding out that it is it's not by accident. It's just it's mind opening. I again glad to have you on to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of their findings is that um, there were actually, um, and I'll go back and check this, but there are foreign government, and I think it's Iranian government handles that are creating disinformation in order to disrupt um, Indian democracy, which is just like astonishing when you think about that, right? Well, actually, I, I, I heard, have heard about this organization called the CIA, and they've been disrupting yes. democracies across the world for yes, a long they time have. now. Yes, and, they and, have. And so I, I hear you. It's a little surprising to have something specific and point to this is happening. But I think generally, for thousands of years, yeah. adversarial yep. forces have been undermining governments. It's just we're taking it to this new yeah. level of fake handles on Twitter yeah. to sow this uh, rhetoric of disinformation targeting Hindus and Indian democracy, that's a whole like, yeah, different level. Well, and what's happening, you're right, it is, it is, it's, it's been happening for a long time. Media, American media has always existed. News, entertainment media has always existed to justify American imperialism. We know that, right? That's not, that's not news. The same with British, the BBC has existed to justify British imperialism, whatever that looks like. Um, I think what people have a hard time understanding in the West is that, um, Oftentimes it's the progressive left media that does it more because the American right is a lot more concerned with sort of terrorizing domestically, but the American left terrorizes the rest of the world. Um, and so, you know, sources like the New York Times, Washington Post, while you might agree with their narratives about the US when it comes to the narratives about the rest of the world, um, it's all there to justify American imperialism and, and, and that imperialism isn't necessarily just um, military, uh, although it can, it can surface that way, but it's often in the space of consciousness. It's this, it's imperialism at the level of consciousness, uh, how we think about the world, what we think is normal, what we think is right. Um, and so, you know, understandably, there's a lot of pushback against American voices in the global South, in the rest of the world. Unfortunately, sometimes that pushback is against, you know, people who are, you know, on the same team. Um, so as a woman, as an American woman, as an American woman who has attended multiple universities, the fact that I speak with this accent, that I speak in English, is under suspicion and I get it. And at the same time, um, you know, maybe we don't have to be so reductive as to just dismiss Hindu women who are articulate and are educated uh, in the humanities and social sciences, just because there is a history of women in the humanities and social sciences who have been detractors of Hinduism. I often find um, that I'm kind of held to a high degree of suspicion and it doesn't matter 
you know, how many years I've been with the guru, the fact that I attended multiple universities is held against me. Well, that goes into the whole, and let's dig into it, right? The manifestation of patriarchy of misogyny in not just one space, but how it's used, where it's used. And again, as you talk about being an educated woman in a controversial, confrontational, polarized place, you get folks from all angles, right? From right-wing Hindu men to, like you're saying, progressives who don't understand their role in American imperialism globally. Uh, and then, of course, they have no real understanding of the history, right? Mm-hmm. They're still stuck on Aryan invasion migration, you know, they have no clue. Mm-hmm. So with all of that baked in, and of course, you're active, you're out there, you're saying stuff, you're getting attacked from all this. So as a woman, I definitely want to not I want to give you that space to lift up and talk about this. And and if you have something that you want to share, please. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you do kind of get it from, from all sides. And I have to say when I entered sort of became more active on social media, I was really surprised by some of these Hindu male voices because the Hindu men in my life are very different, you know, and of course there's only a small percentage of Hindu people on social media. So there's no way at all. And they're self-selected, right? So you know, are, and, and most of the Hindu men in my life are not on social media. So that's, it's not scientific, but it's sort of uh, anecdotally. I've always felt supported by the Hindu men in my life. I've always felt treated as an equal, uh, treated with respect, encouraged. I've never, you know, all of these experiences that I'm having on social media have not appeared in my personal life as a Hindu woman. It's happening on social media. So there's some dynamic happening there. There's some self-selection of people who are speaking out and doing something. And at the same time, you know, it's real and it's every day because I'm out there sharing ideas and, um, you know, it's a pretty daily occurrence for me to be spoken down to because I'm an English, English is, I mean, English was not my first language, but it's my dominant language now just because I live in the U.S. I'm from the, I mean, I grew up here. Um, and I've been in educational spaces. So I use a certain type of American English and it's not put on. The accent is not put on. This is the only way I know how to talk. I, this is not a practiced accent. I'm from New York. Um, and yet it's all sort of mocked and I get it. Like it is funny. Uh, that's fine. But at what point are we going to actually talk about the things that I'm talking about? Right. Uh, when are you going to be able to move past my identity my accent, my language, when can we actually get to the ideas? Because that's what I'm here for. Uh, And I think unfortunately a lot of Hindu women and Hindu American women or Hindu women in the diaspora, we face this because we have a very different take on a lot of things than I would say even Hindu women in India. Feminism is one example. As an American woman, especially today when the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, I know that I would not have survived childbirth in America were it not for feminism. There would not have been any of the advances made in technologies. I would not have the rights that I had, especially as a woman of color in this country. I wouldn't have been able to vote. I probably wouldn't have had access to the healthcare that I do. So feminism is like has kept me alive in this country. And I think the fact that it's been twisted and contorted and mapped onto India in a certain way, I understand all of that. But to say that if I speak about feminism, then I'm anti-Hindu, or that I'm shooting myself in the foot. It's like, brothers and sisters in India, you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to the United States. You really don't. Um, so you find yourself in these, these funny moments, right? Like people saying, if you if you Republican, then you're voting against 
you know, your own tradition. Well, like I'm on Obamacare, like that's how I have insurance right now. If I had, you know, I was voting for my right to be able to go get a mammogram, right? Like these are, these are basic, basic rights. And India has different system happening there. I don't think people understand. And, and certainly a lot of the immigrants who come here and work visas who have access to insurance and other things that, you know, if, you, if you're not, if you don't have those contracts, you don't have access to those things. I think people don't understand how real these things are, what we're talking about. So as a Hindu American woman, when I was, for instance, talking about Black Lives Matter a couple of years last year, I don't know, time is funny. Um, I was accused of not really being Hindu. I was accused of being a neo-Muslim, a neo-Marxist, a neo, all of the, a crypto-Marxist, a crypto-Muslim, all of these things. And it's like, it's, um, it's just very idea, reductive. Yeah, the ideas and the identity, right? We're talking about two different things, but they merge and get conflated, right? The reductiveness, uh, the polarization. We're trying to transcend that, right? We're coming at it from a paradigm of knowledge and what has been winning out is a paradigm of power. And we've talked about this before. So maybe in our last minute, uh, we can talk about that and how you've seen that manifest. At Hindu University of America, we are glad that you are gonna be teaching understanding Hindu phobia this summer at HUA. Please look it up. Uh, Induji, just in this last minute, that paradigm of power, how do we transcend that with that paradigm of knowledge and some of the other work? And please uh, let people know what's going to go on in your uh, HUA course. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to, I think a part of this paradigm of knowledge is understanding the paradigm of power, right? You can't just say, well, I don't subscribe to that because that exists. That's the environment that we're working in. And when you're trying to disrupt something that you're working in, you have to really, when you're trying to Trojan horse it, you have to really, really know it well, right? And so a part of this course that I'm teaching is, is about how to be effective in our articulations, not just within our own community, well, within our own community, but also in, in making real change to impact the real, the lived experiences of Hindus around the world. We have to really, really understand the codes and the languages of the paradigm of power, even as we're moving people towards the paradigm of knowledge. So there's a lot of self-knowledge, self-reflection, in addition to social knowledge, social codes, that's the type of work we're going to be doing. So it's going to be as much on the students as it is on me. If you're looking for a lecture, you're looking at the wrong lady. That's not how I teach. And you are going to want to be a part of this course with Dr. Hindu Vishwanathan at Hindu University of America. Thank you, Induji, for joining us on this episode of Hindu Insights. We covered so much. This was the best episode so far. <laughs> My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Ankur. I always find it to be so interesting. Great. So thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, our handles on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They're all study at HUA. You can find us online at hua.edu. Write to us, go to the contact page. We'll follow up with you. This has been Hindu Insights. I'm Ankur Patel. Today, we had a special guest, Dr. Indu Vishwanathan. Catch you next time. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Thank you.